0: Mike, Mike, and Oscar and the Oscar goes to and the Oscar goes to the Oscar goes to And the Oscar goes to award season. And the Oscar Oscar race checkpoint. And we're back. Welcome. ...to another episode of Mike, Mike & Oscar. This is also Mike recording what I hope will be a rare, somewhat rare, solo edition of Oscar Race Checkpoint. Mike's done one before. I've yet to try it myself. I, I think if uh, I had a different format today, I probably wouldn't have tried it. And I, I kind of built myself up to it because this is kind of the coverage of the coverage of the Cannes Film Festival... ...as a centerpiece of this Oscar Race Checkpoint. So I'm hoping that works... Mike One's going to return, whether it's uh, this weekend or early next week. Uh, I'll give you more on that in a moment. But yes, today's episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint is going to start out with some box office. It's going to be mostly about the Cannes Film Festival and a a lot of the first reactions there. And I'll give you my reactions to the reactions. I'll review a bunch of trailers uh, that have come out. Uh, for for whether you know whether it's a big blockbuster or a Palm Dior contender, we do got a lot of first looks that I can comment on and, and review, and then I'll I'll do some movie reviews in my own right. I'll, I'll finish today with a what we're watching segment and make the case uh, that'll lead off with uh, Alex Garland's Men. What a weird movie that was, and end with Rescue Rangers, of course, because I have nostalgia, uh, of course, uh, and on a serious note. And on behalf of both Mike and myself, I, it was hard to buy into the show must go on sentiment this week. You know, I think I, I know it's helping me get through my day and my night to to kind of get into this distraction with with you all here today. So if it can help you guys get through your day to put this episode out there to talk about some movies, which is a worthwhile distraction, in my opinion. Maybe not from the heaviest of issues, but certainly on a regular basis, I, I do believe that I wouldn't be doing a movie podcast if I didn't think, you know, the arts were good for the soul in that regard. So I, I do believe that wholeheartedly. I don't know how if I can promise, promise much beyond, uh, promise with an SH. I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words today, but I don't know if I can promise much beyond a, a bit of a distraction today, but... If, even if I can give you that, in, in a Sullivan's Travels sense, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on the best I can, and I hope you guys do that. I hope you get the help that you need if you're hurting. Uh, otherwise, I hope uh, I hope you can just, you know, enjoy talking about the, the all these movies that uh, we look forward to seeing and, and taking a port in the storm. The hard times go beyond the the national news. Mike Mike's going through it right now. Uh, unfortunately he's not here today because his mom was was rushed to the hospital uh, with a returning ailment that she thought she had been done with but came back with a vengeance the other night and it's a damn shame and i know that uh i know that she's stable now and she is recovering but it was it was a scary time there for a day uh for certain and uh it's it's a even more of a bummer because just two nights ago, Mike Mike and Moms happened. We had a great time together. Mom won, also mom, myself, Mike, and, and also dad even tagged along. It was, it was so I've never gone to the movies with both my parents and my friend and his parent I've never done that before, but we had a great time. I think I think Mike and I were the dairy girls from the doctor strange episode in this particular theater we were giggling like fools the whole show and uh, i certainly want to tell you guys that story with mike when he comes back and i want mom one back in the movies i, I want to ha- you know i want to have that movie going experience again with her. I know my mom <laughs> invited her to how many movies she wants to see every single movie she wants to see. They, they're going to be movie buddies now and probably start their own podcast, which uh, I will listen to for sure, because they were very funny. They were a riot. So my best, my, my, my best wishes certainly to mom and Mike one and to the Mike one family. Uh, please join me in sending those. Uh, I hope she gets well very soon. And like I said, going in the right direction. Hopefully Mike will be back over the weekend to review Top Gun with me, or at least to review the Palm d'Or winner, which is going to happen soon enough. Uh, but we'll get there. Let's begin, though, with a box office update. Just a couple of quick things to say. Last weekend, we had Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness taking the top spot for the third weekend in a row. 32.3 million. It has surpassed 800 million at the box office. 807 after Monday. Downton Abbey: A New Era. I had hoped it would go for about 20. Uh, it was projected for 18. It came in a little under that 16 million, almost 18 after Monday. That is with a 54 million dollar total uh, after the the three day weekend there, or not a three day weekend, but after Monday. Downton Abbey is kind of the the rollout, I would say, for what is hopefully a return of an older audience to the cinemas, to the movies. I had seen a lot of these Oscar contenders, of course, over the last few years, whether it's with my A list or going to the few indie cinemas that have been open, and it's been more dormant than usual. And it's been scaring Mike and I. So it it was cool to to see Downton Abbey two nights in a row, Monday and Tuesday, in fact. With crowds in, in the theater, and uh, it was great to see the Top Gun premiere the other night. We, we, you know, we had a huge line just to get popcorn. So that was because the Top Gun did a did an early premiere, and they have some early receipts to give some projections. So they released. 92 to 100 million do- dollars domestically for this upcoming memorial day weekend with an 80 million dollar international projection that's 180 million dollars total for top gun maverick he also has been getting rave reviews it's got like a 98 percent audience score 97 on rotten tomatoes and rave reviews from friends of mmo as well uh go to professor horror ryan l terry's blog rl terry real view and uh, read his rave go to uh at colby told me and colby mack of the minorities report film review podcast he's already let off with a, a rave review himself he's calling it an all-timer these guys are are praising this movie like i haven't heard a movie praised maybe since dune at last year's venice film festival so whether that's a good omen or a bad one, I don't know. But these are people we've we trust. We've had on this show too that you know share some similar tastes, perhaps with with us for movies. So I am I am as excited as can be. Tom Cruise certainly had Mike and I in the palm of his hand back during that Mission Impossible rewatch. Uh, we we love doing the Top Gun retrospective. So if you need our thoughts on Tom Cruise films, you know go back and listen to some older stuff on our uh soundcloud feed there it'll all be there for sure i don't know if it's all on the apple stuff because they kind of cut off after like 150 episodes or whatever but uh definitely on our soundcloud feed you can go all the way back we have a mission impossible rewatch, and we have just a week back we got our top gun retrospective so a lot going on at the box office Uh, everything everywhere all at once becomes a24s all-time Leader at the domestic box office, fifty-nine point one million total worldwide. This is exciting. I wonder how much of that it's an older audience, but I I think that the younger audience is going to the to the multiplexes and the indie cinemas to support a film like this. The Daniels deserve it. Uh, that is a fun movie. I, is it a masterpiece? I'm not going to go that far, but I do give it a strong B plus. I do hope Michelle Yeoh, Ki Hai Kwan, and and uh, you know the uh, the production values. I do hope they're in the Oscars conversation, and uh, I, they're in my fives right now. So see everything everywhere all at once. Don't necessarily wait for it on VOD, but if you have to, at least buy it there. Uh, it's a that's a recommendation from us here at MMO as well. And then we'll get into men. Men did not land quite so well at the box office 3.2 million kind of doa there unfortunately losing out to the bad guys the sonic the hedgehog 2 last weekend you know these retreads that are also on streaming services now with like sonic i'm going to review that later the bad guys is pvod and men can't even beat these two cartoons at the box office when it's getting a wider rollout than it ever would have years ago like i said you know these multiplexes are showing Pretty much all the indie films now, that's what's different. You, you would have to fight for screens, you know, two years ago. Now, Everything Everywhere All at Once is at an advantage. You could see it on that huge of a screen uh, in, in every every major market rather than uh, just have to go to your podunk theater. So this is uh, this is a new development that's not the worst thing in the world, especially for someone who has an A-list. And by the way, with a discount movie going night, in Abbey... Cost eight dollars for three tickets. That's I. I have you know the subscription monthly, which is like twenty five dollars a month, and then I had you know and I obviously I make money on that. They're they're losing money on me. And then I bought my my parents' tickets, and one I had I had a five dollar reward, so one ticket was one fifty, and the other ticket was like six seventy nine. So it's like eight eight dollars and change. Unbelievable deal. Uh, for discount movie night on Tuesdays at AMC. So shout out to them. Uh, Hopefully they get people back in there and Top Gun will assure this. So let's cross our fingers. And I can't wait to review that film. Uh, Certainly I'm going to hold out a little longer, wait for Mike, and then you guys will get a full profile one way or the other. All right, let's get into our centerpiece today, which is, of course, the can film festival the 75th and we got to start with the Elvis reactions Elvis is the latest blockbuster to get its premiere in France ahead of its summer release we've seen this strategy work very well in the past for a variety of big money films Oscar contenders like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Mad Max Fury Road they managed you know to start their Oscar campaigns and boost their box office ceilings in uh, one strategic can premiere there Rocket Man How to Train Your Dragon 2 similarly successful uh even though i think they both wish they won a few more oscars but we've had the big blockbuster films that had nothing to do with oscars kind of start their you know uh box office booms here f9 the fast saga had the beach premiere last year Train to busan which became a huge international hit had an out of competition premiere as well on the french red carpet so I think this has worked, and it's worked for Baz Luhrmann. I mean, you go back to 2014, and this is where he premiered The Great Gatsby. So, like Maggie Smith, Baz is no stranger to the south of France, and he had quite the perplexing, messy reception for his film here, Elvis, where, once again, Film Twitter seems to be at war with itself. Much of yesterday's reactions came, you know, reacted to the first wave of negativity. And my God, was it personified in this headline, quote unquote, from IndieWire. Baz Luhrmann's deliriously awful biopic is Bohemian Rhapsody at 4,000 miles per hour. Uh, To make matters worse, the first tweet I saw referencing this review from IndieWire just read, Elvis is a nightmare. And this is from (laughs) David Ehrlich, who's, just audacity, I oh, I've always loved as a critic. Uh, Vanity Fair had a similarly negative take. It wasn't quite as brutal, but uh, it did build off of praise for Austin Butler that ultimately ended with a thud, saying that it was quote a shame then that Lerman worked so hard to drown him out. Eventually, though, we did have you know the messy overall reception because Elvis. Came around to mostly positive reviews. 82% on Rotten Tomatoes today, this morning, uh, as of 17 reviews. Clayton Davis and the pundits, I would say, are a bit mixed. Clayton said th- that he channels the very essence and soul of Elvis and that the movie is at its best when focused on the love and the music. But Clayton does go on to write that Tom Hanks's makeups distracts, and I would agree, based on the trailers, for certain. Based on the people I trust, like Clayton and like Ann Thompson, case in point, it does seem like this is going to be more of a messy mixed review from a lot of folks. And she did say, quote, Liking Elvis depends on how much you like the musical Baz Luhrmann. Uh, Tom Hanks as Fengali, Colonel Parker will be divisive. That seems to be another you know commonality with these reviews. But Ann goes out on a limb saying this is just not going to be a critic's pick whatsoever. But she does end with the uh, phrase that nor was Bohemian Rhapsody. So, you'd think mixed reviews like this, even the the positive reviews have some caveats. You'd think that would mean kind of a measured applause, a measured take from a lot of people. But no, of course that's not what it means. And of course the Cannes Film Festival, you know, see last year's Annette, would not let this film get a five-minute ovation. No, we have a new leader an achievement and standing ovations uh, as Elvis <laughs> merited a 12-minute applause. It's still not the 22 minutes of Pan's Labyrinth, but 12 minutes. We, we saw an adorable Tom Hanks nudge the camera towards Butler. We saw Butler cry tears of joy. Thank you to Variety for all the videos. Thank you to all the pundits in the room with the videos. And certainly thank you to Variety for leaning into this coverage of the of the you know the timed applause for for mike and i in particular so elvis i i could not be happier with this reception as a pundit i think this is the juicy kind of movie talk subject that we crave for the summer every summer but it's actually paid big dividends to have a long box office driven can film festival premiered musical biopic hit in the spring hopefully and then have long legs it's worked with rocket man even though it didn't work to the very end some would say because taron got snubbed and whatnot but you know rocket man was an oscar winner won the original song it it certainly worked not necessarily with can but it worked with judy coming out in september and we've seen it work in the past of course for bohemian rhapsody one of the more fiery summers in mmo history go back and listen to our review and our coverage as bo rap just shocked us at every stage of the game especially with that golden globe win remember when the golden globes picked bohemian rhapsody as its best film drama of all things my goodness so Elvis seems to be of that vein. Will it be another bow wrap? Will it be something that falls short of that? We don't know. Let's move on, though. We have another MMO favorite here in terms of the hype in Decision to Leave. This is written and directed by Park Chan-wook of The Handmaiden, old Boy, Stoker, and Lady Vengeance. As a reminder to you guys, Decision to Leave's con- condensed plot premise now reads something much more... Uh, <laughs> Much less sci-fi than Mike and I thought it would be. Maybe we misinterpreted it, but basically it seems like it's just a detective story. (laughs) We'll see if that's how it plays out or if we will indeed get werewolves. I don't know. I I hope so somehow that they work those in. But all right, I'm I'm beating around the bush here. The premise reads, a detective investigating a man's death in the mountains meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his dogged sleuthing." sleuthing or sleuthing. Decision to leave stars Tang Wei of Lust Caution and Park Hill of Memories of Murder. Both have been getting rave reviews for their performances. And really, the rave reviews come for you know, for the filmmaker and from all directions. Ann Thompson hailed Decision to Leave as one of her canned favorites. Uh, her IndieWire colleague, the hard-ass David Ehrlich, from his Elvis review, not so much here. He said, leave it to Park Chan-wook to turn a routine detective procedural into the most wildly romantic movie of the year. So that's the review that, that really hit me hard and struck me because that would certainly be a next-level act of filmmaking for Decision to Leave. It's a rarity. It's something like Vertigo. Many people hail Chinatown as a rare detective romance in many ways. Obviously, the film noir genre has many of these way back in history. I would say something like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo works on that level, works very well on that level. Uh, C'est la vie for the ending. But I, I loved how David Fincher's film in particular worked there. Uh, I will I will ship those two characters for life. And Decision to Leave has an early ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes with reviews, positive reviews from all the big trades, The Hollywood Reporter, Variety. Typically, a film's gotta work on multiple levels to get you know raves from from everywhere. The negative reviews are a bit far and few between. few and far between but I'll read one snippet from Angel Quintana here who writes there is no narrative pulse beyond Chan Wook's visual domain and no matter how beautiful some images are the film does not move forward there's also a caveat from this otherwise fresh review from Nicholas Bell that reads while unquestionably elegant decision to leave hits a dry spell in the last hour but even while doing so, remains a complex web of need and greed worth revisiting. So, I gotta be worried right now, because I'm in a dangerous zone of believing the hype on Decision to Leave. Number one, because I'm a big Park Chan-wook fan, always have been, since my student days, and I've seen him tackle the genre before, and films that I think are a bit underrated, like A Stoker, his English-language film, but also the two Vengeance movies, Lady Vengeance and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Plus, I know this cast is great. Lust, Lust Caution, I'm not as big of a fan of that film, but I was a big fan of those two performances. We just saw the star of that film with Tony Leong deliver a great performance in Shang-Chi. And now we have Park Hill from Memories of Murder, from The Host, from Bong Joon-ho films. He's played some you know, elusive characters, to say the least, and he's going to be leading this one. Uh, besides Tang Wei, so I know that they have the ability, and I know that this filmmaker has the ability. He got a lot of praise as a as a master filmmaker in this one from most reviewers. So that that makes me think we're in good hands. But look, I gotta admit right now that I'm also finding myself in a similar position to my co-host, but kind of in the opposite context because he was rooting for me to be right about George Miller's film Three Thousand Years of Longing. I'm now rooting for him to be right in the opposite sense. I was down on 3,000 years of longing and worried about it, and now I'm watching the trailers and I think it looks awesome. He was the opposite on Decision to Leave. He actually thought Decision to Leave, just based on a mere outline of the project two years ago, at the beginning of 2021, was going to be an Oscars contender. So I'm rooting for his 100% accurate prediction there too follow through Uh, despite my usual antagonism of him uh, despite the fact that I'm immediately jealous of his Celtics winning last night I do find myself rooting for him to be right here I I love Park Chan Wook and I can't help it now as for a film where I'm probably going to differ with my co-hosts we have Crimes of the Future Crimes of the Future is written and directed by David Cronenberg of Scanners, The Fly, A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, and a Dangerous Method. Crimes of the Future stars Viggo Mortensen, Lea Seydoux, Kristen Stewart, and Scott Speedman. Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, Saul Tenser, of course his name is Tenser. Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. Ugh. I'm, I'm literally getting goosebumps on the back of my neck. We won't have to wait long for Crimes of the Future as it's due out June 3rd, which hangs over me like a knife right now, but... All right, let's hear some first reactions. We have at Scott Feinberg writing that, It's smart, creative, thought-provoking, and yes, very effing weird. Vigo and Leia's committed performances help to make it plausible, but I would not hold my breath for the Academy. We have Matt Neglia at Next Best Picture on a similar train saying that the world building hooked him with its dissection of human evolution and how it connects to the earth, sex, and technology. He also raves about Viggo Mortensen and Lea Seydoux being fascinating, the creative score, production design, and makeup as well. But he does finish by saying that it left him wanting more. So... The pundits are a bit mixed, kind of like with Elvis, but the reviews are mostly fresh, 82% on 39 reviews. The film did earn a seven-minute standing ovation, which I thought was going to be more in line with what Elvis got, but this is a bit more repressed at the very least. All that being said... It's still seven minutes of clapping, and it did touch the director, David Cronenberg, uh, 79-year-old director, who, uh, it, tears in his eyes, did say, I'm very touched by your response. I hope you're not kidding. I hope you mean it. <laughs> Which, again, just further scares me because we've heard about the walkouts and test screening, test screenings. We've, we've seen the reports that it happened again at Cannes. People are so grossed out that they leave. Thank God for film, Twitter, follows Like Kenzie Vanunu and shout out to at Kens Venunu with use there. Recent guest on MMO from OscarsCentral.com, who amongst all her funny photo tweets, uh, just read them, go follow. She did retweet something say she something saying she wished she was as funny as, but never can be, and that's wrong, Kenzie. You are, but she did retweet at Responsible Rob's review that said, quote, I did not think it was possible for a film to make me piss, shit, puke, and cum at the same time. Boy was I wrong. Oh my god, I'm I'm red all over right now, but I I thank you, Rob, and I thank you, Kenzie. Scott and Matt, I I don't know what to make of Crimes of the Future. I have to kind of go back to my history with Cronenberg, though, because I've watched most of his films, and I must say, I'm not as squeamish, certainly in retrospect, at most of his resume. So it's not like blind courage when I say, I'm going to see Crimes of the Future. I'm going to do it. I, I have to. I've seen a lot of his grisly violent films in the fast in the past, and yet they have not necessarily grossed me out. So do you guys agree? Will you talk me out of it or will you talk me into it? I know Wojcik's all about it. I know Kenzie's all about it. What do you guys think of Crimes of the Future? Are you are you gonna see it? Do you want a full film study? Does every Cronenberg film merit as much What do you say? Let us know here at MMO. Uh, We'll move on now to Holy Spider, which perhaps might be on the same level of Grizzly, because this is co-written and directed by Ali Abassi of Border, Shelley, and The Last of Us, the upcoming The Last of Us TV show, that is. And my God, was Border a unique and kind of messed up viewing experience in many ways, even though it was also a weirdly sweet one. But that was a few Oscar seasons ago. Now we have what seems to be a dark serial killer plot premise that reads, A journalist descends into the dark belly of the Iranian holy city of Mashhad as she investigates the serial killings of sex workers by the so-called, quote, spider killer who believes he is cleansing the streets of sinners. This is perhaps my favorite trailer of the festival if it's not Decision to Leave which is more of a teaser this is certainly more of a full trailer and I you know encourage you guys to watch it I encourage you guys to wait for this movie if you like the genre as much as I do I've been sickly fascinated with true crime in my elder years here kind of since graduating from college since Zodiac I would say David Fincher's kind of thrown me down this this rabbit hole, and I've never been able to dig my way out. I I, I will watch these movies even when they're bad. Uh, I am a sick-in-the-head person in this regard, so I'm not afraid of Holy Spider, even though I'm a little concerned at the reviews, some of them. Not this one, though. Ramin Satuda he wrote. He's the executive at Variety. He wrote. I, I just saw the best movie I can. Twenty twenty two so far. Ali Abassi's Holy Spider could win the Palm Dior, and it should. A terrifying serial killer movie that would make Fincher proud, with a final act that is wor- That is the work of a cinematic master. High praise there for Mr. Sat- Satuda. Holy Spider has a 90% overall as an early Tomato score on 20 reviews, and we got another reliable voice saying the same. Uh, Amy Smith at Next Best Picture, she wrote, very few films can leave as much of a visceral impact as Holy Spider does, but we do have some caveats, and... Some of these give me pause. Holy Spider is an outraged, indignant, and somewhat obvious work. That's from Ben Kroll. Then we have David Katz at the film stage saying, It seems Abbasi got caught between the social, social righteousness dictates of the, quote, message movie and pure amorality of what, disturbingly so, often makes for great cinema. So I'm hopeful that the Remains and the Amys are more right here because I want a good serial killer hunt for the serial killer movie. I love when a non-detective is the protagonist and we seem to have a journalist protagonist here in a similar vein as the, you know, as the Zodiac story was. We, we know this is a true story and that's going to add to the fact, but it does seem like we're going to get some pretty gruesome, hard to watch scenes at the very least. In terms of what should hopefully not be hard to watch, uh, and taking a hard right turn, we have Triangle of Sadness. This is written and direct directed by Ruben Ostlund of Force Majeure and The Square. I recommend those two films. And you know what? I probably should take that back. Those are kind of hard to watch in in places. They don't have brevity. They're long movies. They're challenging movies. They they Nails on a chalkboard at times, but they're also funny as hell. They got great music, and they they have catharsis, certainly. A Triangle of Sadness stars Woody Harrelson, Harris Dickinson of The King's Man, and Charlie Dean, amongst others. This is the dark comedy about a cruise for the super rich that sinks, thus leaving survivors, including a fashion model, celebrity couple trapped on an island. Now, I watched the clips... triangle of sadness they're funny there's a there's a dinner scene with the boat kind of rocking back and forth and woody harrelson is just having a quote off with another character about communism and capitalism (laughs) it is funny I, i i it's a good sign for the movie overall there's also a silly like audition for the fashion model where they explain the title look it this movie got the opposite of what I just talked about. It got better reactions on film Twitter than reviews from film critics. There was an eight-minute standing ovation for Triangle of Sadness. Clayton Davis and pundits you know, put out pieces immediately, quote-unquote, here's the headline, there will be a triangle of sadness if, if awards aren't given to it. That's from Clayton Davis. And yet, we get kind of lower critical reviews. This is 65% on 25 takes as of now. It's not as awe-inspiring as Clayton or I would hope here. Uh, and here's some actual takes. We have Triangle of Sadness. Sadness needn't be a fair film, but a more carefully shaped argument would have been appreciated. That's from Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair. Uh, moving on to Charles Bromesco of The Playlist. He says, in the past, Ausland has shown a deft facility in sending up meaty topics. Here, however, he stoops to the broadness ascribed to his work by the harshest critics, now more parody of himself than parodist. That's not great. However, we'll finish with Joanne Tipmarsh, who said he's having a time of his life with this cinematic chorus of eat the rich, the fun is infectious, and despite an indulgence with regards to the runtime, this is a beautiful and very funny film. I'm hopeful for more of the latter. I'm a fan of Ruben Oslin's career thus far, so I'm rooting for it. We'll have to look out for Triangle of Sadness. Moving on to another Palme d'Or contender, we have RMN this is from the director kristen munju of 4 months 3 weeks and 2 days that got under everyone's skin back in 2007 when it won the palme d'or and and when it went freak me out at the new york film festival back when i was graduating college there the trailer is is also a, a one long freak out it really leaves you uneasy it's probably much more action packed than the movie will be based on reviews but Let's be honest. These reviews are very strong. 94% on 16 reviews as of Monday. And here's one of them from Gregory Elwood of The Playlist saying the power of Munju's work is his writing. Like much of Eastern European cinema of the past decade, he's crafted a morality tale that should prompt a viewer to take a look at themselves in the mirror wherever they may live. So RMN, hearing some good things. Another movie where... You know, people seem to love the filmmakers and and really celebrate them everywhere they can and where else better than France where the Dardenne brothers are from. Steph Green for We Love Cinema said that Tori and Lokita is the film of the festival for her. She says the Darden's latest is a bare and brutal slice of social realism about two migrants who pass themselves off as brother and sister. But if you're worrying about just another film with a heavy subject matter, though, Steph concludes her review with this. We don't end this film feeling merely sad. It engenders a sharp feeling of revolt. So I love that fist in the air ending to her review. And go seek her out uh, at Steph Green. Amy Smith also had praise for the Darden's film, saying they have delivered powerful drama with two exceptional leading performances. The short runtime keeps the story in focus, uh, and with every reveal, your heart breaks more for these characters. That's Tori and Lokita. We'll wind down with some mixed reviews uh the first of which for the silent twins from agnieszka excuse me i i did my best i listened to a bunch of pronunciations for that i don't i think i botched it though agnieszka i hope i i tried uh based on the lives of Of June and Jennifer Gibbons, real-life identical twins who grew up in Wales and became known as, quote, the Silent Twins because of their refusal to communicate with anyone other than each other. The Silent Twins stars Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence. And we have a review from Ann Thompson here saying that The "The Silent Twins is a truth-is-stranger-than-fiction story that's hard to crack. The actors were great, but despite the filmmakers' best efforts, the film never comes to life. Focus Features faces a marketing challenge as reviews are mixed. Similarly, Brother and Sister featuring Marion Cotillard, very mixed reviews. Uh, Eight of 15 were positive, around 53% last I looked. Uh, And finally, the stars at noon. Claire Denis. There was a tweet. I forgive me, I didn't cite them, but saying that she's human after all. Claire Deneen not getting good reviews for the stars at noon, even though Margaret Qualley got some strong reviews for her performance in that. Uh, we'll end the can segment today with a look at the recent acquisitions, Corsage. This is from Marie Kreutzer, starring Vicky Krapes and Colin Morgan. Uh, Amy Smith says she wants to frame a bunch of these shots instantly on her wall. And we have uh, like this period drama about the Empress Elizabeth of Austria in 1877. That was picked up by IFC. We have uh, Sony Pictures Classics acquiring Mia Hansen loves One Fine Morning that we covered in the last episode that's starring Lea Seydoux. And then we got the biggies. Getting picked up. Neon won a bidding war against A24 and Searchlight for Triangle of Sadness with uh, Woody Harrelson starring Ruben Ostlund, and we have Utopia. Diving into the acquisitions game in terms of U.S. distribution, buying Holy Spider. Utopia is kind of new to the game. Movie's a bit new to the game in terms of U.S. distribution, but we've seen them ramping up their efforts in the last year, so that's pretty cool. And I do want to mention kind of the tally as of now. A24, we saw God's Creatures Men showing up, the stars at noon, Jerry Lee Lewis's doc, and After Sun was another recent addition for them. After Sun getting a lot of, of press. Uh, and, and and positive reviews. We had Focus Features, taking Silent Twins and Armageddon Time, IFC now with RMN and Corsage, MGM, 3,000 Years of Longing, movie with The Five Devils and Decision to Leave, and Neon now with Broker, which uh, we're still waiting for first reactions for, N-East Men, Moonage Daydream, The Bowie Doc, Crimes of the Future, and now Triangle of Sadness, and then Sony Pictures Classics, Return of Soul and One Fine Morning with Utopia, nabbing holy spider 8:24. they're accustomed to the oscars game minari ladybird florida project 20th century women moonlight so does that give us any hints to what they may have with showing up the kelly reichardt movie uh i don't know we have focus with belfast last year promising young woman black klansman and phantom thread they have armageddon time that's the james gray movie so they know what they're doing in terms of the oscars campaign I love IFC films. I love IFC Midnight. I'm usually spending seven dollars a rental on those without hesitation when I just see the the production company label. They've done some some awesome movies from *Itumama Tambien* to *My Big Fat B- Greek Wedding* as you know big hits back in the day. But they've also done cool ass films of the last year like *Werewolves Within* and *Benedetta*. You know they got R.M.N. and *Corsage*. Uh, I'm curious to to click play on those. Mubi is the a fascinating play here they've they've had movies like sweat that i i really appreciated on the streaming service azor what we do when we look at the sky at the new york film festival a lot of can and new york film festival entries here a lot of best international film selections like lingui the sacred bonds and great freedom and now they of course have decision to leave which mike and i certainly hope is a major oscars player along with those five devils sony pictures classics Parallel Mothers, The Father, Pain and Glory, Capernaum, A Fantastic Woman, Call Me By Her Name, the list goes on and on. Not just a best international film category contending studio, but overall, Sony Pictures Classics had some major uh, Oscar successes in the past. They have The Return the Soul, and now Mia Hansen loves One Fine Morning, which she's overdue for awards attention in her own right, especially after Bergman Island. Uh, otherwise, Neon, you know, they've been a major player. I, Tanya, Border, Honeyland, Parasite, the worst person in the world, Flea, all with Oscar's success in the past. Like I said, Triangle of Sadness is in their hands as of now. Crimes of the Future with an early, earlier release date, but they, they might have two big contenders in Broker and Triangle of Sadness, so we'll have to wait and see. Finally, I want to shout out Will Mavity at Maverick Maverick's Movies. He's posting a lot of cool stuff, a lot of stats, a lot of stuff that I, I just can reference throughout and he posted can metacritic scores a couple days ago decision to lead and after Sun, they're leading with 90 90 metacritic scores we have top gun maverick moonage daydream with 80 armageddon time 74 crimes of the future 71 triangle of sadness down below with 66 brother and sister 58 make sure you follow maverick's movies all right final segment here today i i'm shocked that i was able to fill out a full show but uh gotta finish it now gotta bring it home we do have a make the case segment i will begin with my review of alex garland's men look the horror works very well for the first hour i was rattled it was tackling a heavy subject as you know from the trailers but Alex Garland can do that. He's shown the capability in the past with Annihilation, with Ex Machina. These are subjects, these are characters that are absolutely lost when you first meet them. And there is a descent into madness at their worst and certainly into whatever, being lost in the woods at their best. So you knew you were in for a freakout movie. I didn't know I was into in for a freakout to this extent. You got some cinematography that's a standout. You got some music that's kind of haunting. The sound mix really gets under your skin. I, I give him a lot of credit for that. And and, and all of this boils down into a, a creepy movie-going experience for that first hour, hour and 20. It's a short movie. And the finale is what everybody's talking about. And the finale is what does not work most about the film. Uh, there's an unpredictability and it, uh, that going into the project, you feel this is like an oddity, and the fact that you get the weirdest ending is cool. So in that respect, I like it. I like it on paper, but I don't like it when I'm sitting there watching it. Look, I don't get the vitriol for it on the one hand, but on the other, if you're a film critic, like this is the heavy-handed imagery that you just have to crush You have to punch up and and discourage filmmakers from going to this level because it's just so obvious. It's overt. It's on the nose. Like I said, I'm shocked by the audacity, but it does not bring the film home to what should work on multiple levels but is very much just kind of living on the one level. So I love stories like this or like this was supposed to be because I love to crack them. I love to try and figure them out. You can't do that with men because there's no way you watch this movie and not get it. That's the bummer about it. It's not on an Ari Aster level. It's not on a Jordan Peele level. It's not on a a level of uh, horror movies that we've enjoyed reviewing here on Mike, Mike, and Oscar from The Babadook. It's not on an elevated horror level, and it should have been, and that's the bummer. Still, you get what might be a career-making performance from Rory Kinnear. I think he might make his name with this one. He's that charismatic. We see a lot of him, of course, from the trailers. And my God, does he freak you out. Jesse Buckley, you know, she goes to 11 on multiple occasions where I don't think that's going to work for her Oscar campaign at all. It's not going to work in regards to this film, number one, because it only made $3.2 million. So there's really no chance for Jesse Buckley here. Still, I do think it's another strong performance. The film does rest on her, and I wish the finale rested on her, I guess is what I'll say, instead of the VFX. So we have Beast, Wild Rose, Chernobyl, Judy. What a start to Jesse Buckley's career. Doolittle, she had the misstep there, but I I think she was just a voice. I'm not watching Doolittle, sorry. But she's just had an awesome stretch. The Courier, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, Her role in Fargo really freaked me out. The Lost Daughter and now men and then women talking. So uh, we have quite the CV already from Jesse Buckley. All right, I'm going to move on to a trip that I made that I never reviewed into new directors new films which was last month a film festival trip where I went to PJ Clark's often and I I saw three good movies in the interim so I went one day new directors new films I, I suggest you guys try that film festival out you're always gonna get an interesting watch. There and film at Lincoln Center. Whenever you show up there, just go there and and see a movie. It's a really cool place. I can I can I can give a testament to film at Lincoln Center because I went to school there and I just I've always been going there at least once a year. But now with the New York Film Festival and hopefully new directors, new films, I'll be going there a couple times a year Uh, and I'll pay you know homage to my friend P.J. Clark when I can. I saw Anoda Ten Thousand Days in the Jungle about what's a famous historical case of a Japanese soldier who fought World War II until 1974. How did this happen? This movie explains it. And it does so convincingly. I was shocked that this movie played on me. I gave it a chance because I'm like, all right, if I'm going to do a long-ass movie, let me do it in the morning. This is over three hours. I did it around 11 noon. I forget when I was... I had a full belly, I was a happy man sitting down with it, and this movie somehow worked on me. I, I give this credit, uh, this filmmaker, all the credit in the world, and I, I recommend it. See Anoda, O N O D A, Ten Thousand Days in the Jungle when you can. The next movie was the opposite, and I wanted to do this purposely. This was full time. This was a short movie from Eric Gravel, starring Lori Calame and Suarez and Genevieve Munich, Julie finally gets an interview for a job where she can raise her children better, only to run into a national transit strike, this movie was non-stop, full time is just about a mom working her ass off for her kids, for her family, for her job, I've never seen this conveyed in like a thriller fashion before, but Eric Gravel pulls it off, I was in, for every minute of this movie, Laura Calame, she, as Julie Roy, she deserves a lot of credit, she she held this movie together, she's running all over the place in heels throughout the Paris streets, I'm a huge fan of movies that just knock me on my ass at a film festival that I just squeezed in, I wasn't even planning to go to this movie, and I just bought a ticket because I had just enough time to squeeze one more screening in before I went down to uh, the Museum of Modern Art for my next film. And I, it was the best film I saw all day, full-time, high B-grade for me, really uh, secured this movie-going experience, this festival day for me. Finally, I saw The Innocents. This is Eskil Vault's horror movie starring a bunch of kids who are just the creepiest, most evil kids in the world. This was messed up from the jump. Trigger warnings are in effect here, especially if you don't like cruelty to animals, You know, domestic violence. That's all there. I kind of weighed in on the review for this one because I was very disappointed by it. I don't I don't want to punch a new movie, a movie by a younger filmmaker, necessarily while 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 they're down. But I've seen enough positive reviews for The Innocents that I think people are watching. And I do want Escovault to get attention. There's a lot of of capability here. The problem is it just goes too far at times and you have character assassination to a level where you better have spectacle that works at the end of it. You better have catharsis that works, and this falls so flat. Look, I'll say child actors, they're hard to find uh, in a sense. that You know, you need, you need great actors to, to carry any movie, but certainly for this one, and you're halfway there. I think one of the actors does a great job, and, and two, two of the – well, I guess you're 33% of the way there. Two of the three just really struggle, and that kind of dooms the film. So The Innocents, it's available to rent for $7. He's one of the writers of The Worst Person in the World. He's the director of Thelma. It's another inspiring piece. There's a lot that works about The Innocents, but at the end of the day, it kind of falls short. C-minus great for me. So I was two out of three for my trip to new directors, new films. I do want to shout out to Mark Rylance's performance in The Outfit, even though that movie was kind of ridiculously unpredictable. But if you like those, if you're ready for those, you know, watch the outfit. It's very theatrical in the sense that you're stuck in one room and you've got this gangster murder drama similar to Rope playing out. And that is fun, uh, certainly if you're in the mood for it. So the outfit, I believe, is on Peacock right now. You can check it out. Uh, shout out to Senior Year, which has a very funny middle hour on Netflix The beginning 20 minutes is nonstop cringes and the end maybe 15 minutes is just I want to I want to crawl up into a ball and invert myself on the couch because I'm freaking out at how embarrassing the finale of this movie was. That's that's a rough sit. And that's probably the reason why I only got 17 percent on Rotten Tomatoes senior year on Netflix. I was hoping for a bit more and maybe I got like twisted around. By my expectations being very low and getting higher after listening to recent activity and all the guys liking it so much, but I can't help—I can't help awkward humor, or I can't abide awkward humor when it's this awkward for the, you know, first and third act. So that's my thoughts on senior year. Sticking with Netflix, I want to review *Our Father*. This is a documentary about a fertility doctor who does so much wrong and that's all I'll say let the premise don't don't read anything about this if you if you need to know about true crime on this plane there's no more fascinating doc than our father i mean there's serial offenses here in terms of some guy abusing his power to to a huge extent it's it's heartbreaking but it's also it's something I've never even thought of could be a possibility before. And yet this guy got away with all these crimes against his community at large. So our father, a really strong documentary, I would say a solid B grade for me. Sticking with true crime. Mike was actually mentioning this series, this limited series starring Jessica Beale, candy on Hulu. I did watch it. It's a quick five episodes and candy. Delivers it delivers uh, on a dramatic level that I did not think was possible more so than Pam and Tommy even which I was I'm surprised to say as of now maybe it's a maybe Pam and Tommy should have been a bit shorter but candy worked with more brevity for me here and Jessica Biel's performance is is incredible Melanie Linsky she's been great in a lot of things of late. I think she, she kind of started with that indie film on Netflix, which really impressed me. And then, of course, she's in the Showtime show. Why am I forgetting? Uh, a Yellow jacket? She's in the Showtime show, Yellow Jackets. Of course, i got to start searching for titles at the end of an episode. I'm getting a little tired here. But Melanie Linsky, awesome actress, uh, should win Emmys and hopefully Oscars in the future. Jessica Biel, though, really uh, carries this one uh, alongside Linsky. And this this show works... If you're into the true crime, I did not expect what happened, so maybe don't read about it. It is a true story and, and watch that on Hulu. Finally, I'll end with a cherry on top of this Sunday with a two with, with two kids' movie reviews, Sonic the Hedgehog Two and Chippendale and Rescue Rangers. All right. <clears throat> Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I was kind of avoiding it in theaters because like I don't want to be the guy who goes to Sonic the Hedgehog eight o'clock on a Wednesday by myself on my a-list like i really i need like a nephew to go to that with of course i do so i just kind of avoid i never went even though i probably wanted to see it because i liked the first movie i liked sonic growing up i was a big a bit of a sega head you know not an egghead necessarily and it wasn't that you know familiar with all the games but i played at least one of the games at one point and enjoyed it and would play the sega games going over each, you know friends houses and whatnot and you know, it delivers in that nostalgic sense thank you for not going the ugly sonic route shout out to chip and Jail, dale uh yeah there's a very funny bit in the chip and dale rescue rangers show i don't know how or movie i don't know how they got the rights to the sonic property that's disney and that's and this is paramount whatever but they did and there was a major reference in a comedy bit involving both movies but sonic the hedgehog 2 really works with, a, with the spectacle i mean it's very hard to have such cartoon characters in a real world and mesh the VFX as well as they do here in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, so will I be shocked if Sonic 2 gets a VFX shortlist at the end of the day? No, I will not. I think this really played out uh, on a huge scale in cities with Sonic, you know, in these in these massive action set pieces. It really worked out, and then you got some like jerry bruckheimer michael bay shots of some funny side characters in the middle of this movie really playing it up hamming it up for comedy that that work well look i get a little exasperated at any kids film that goes for broke nowadays and i did at both chip and dale and sonic the hedgehog too so it's hard for me to say like you know, B-plus or anything like that in terms of my reviews. But I, I will say, like, C, C-plus. Like, these movies work for me, and I'm sure they'll probably work for your kids better than they work for me. I'm almost 40, and I'm watching kids' movies still. But I I, I enjoyed the nostalgia of Sonic, and certainly Chip and Dale. There's all kinds of meta, meta jokes in Chip and Dale that were funny. You know, the Lonely Island guys made it with uh, the voice of uh, Andy Samberg involved, and certainly... Uh, Mulaney, John Mulaney uh, of uh, SNL and the Oh Hello Guys. Look, I I can't stick with this movie all the way through, but it nearly stuck the landing for me. It nearly did it. It just gets so zany by the end that, you know, I really need to be a kid again to love it. So if you have that open heart to storytelling uh, from... Your 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 childhood years and you can hang with this movie through all the dancing and all the fake rapping that just, you know, the one note jokes there couldn't hold this movie for me. But, you know, again, I'm not going to crush it. C grade. It was I put it on in the background of my laptop, kind of preparing this episode. That is. And I'm glad I did it it was worth the 10 laughs it was worth the 10 smirks in addition to the 10 laughs and Chippendale Rescue Rangers hopefully was the long awaited the long awaited reboot all you guys wanted so my god that is the episode i can't believe i did almost an hour i do want to shout out our socials Real quick, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar at Facebook and Instagram. We are at MN and Oscar on Twitter, where we're most active. I certainly, you know, ask you guys some questions throughout this show. Get back to me. Let me know what you think. We'll try and shout you out. Uh, if you can guess who's going to win that Palm d'Or, make sure to tell us, guys. If, you know, we'll get, we'll read out your receipts on the next episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint if you get it right. So give us your reasoning as well, if you can. Otherwise, please help us out. Please help us grow organically by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, by liking us where you can on SoundCloud, wherever. I think Spotify has a rating system now. So wherever you can leave a review, that does go a long way to helping us grow the show. And we have grown so much since last year, just last year, that it's it really is humbling, which again is you know why I wanted to make sure to get you guys some Content today. Hopefully, I didn't exhaust you, even though I may have exhausted myself in so doing. But what's coming next from us? We have the Top Gun Maverick film study. I don't know if that'll be the next episode, or if it'll be after the Palm Dior Oscar race checkpoint. But Mike and I certainly want to review Top Gun Maverick, and we certainly want to cover the Cannes Film Festival and who wins it. I also, as, as I said at the beginning of the show, I also have that Downton Abbey: A New Era segment that I'm going to do with Mike so uh, that's going to be a fun segment we'll tell you the story of our trip to the movie so again, words of wisdom today send your well wishes to mom number one, uh, to Mike one and his family, hopefully he can get back behind the microphone soon hopefully I didn't mangle this thing in the editing room and I'll get it out to you guys uh, by Friday at the very least if anything happened at the Cannes Film Festival that shook the world well, I recorded this on Thursday editing it (laughs) editing it into friday so i will see you guys again with some trailer reviews with mike and i'll leave his usual farewell spiel for when he comes back and i'll just say see you